Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Our studios here at Light of the East are out of my parish, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. So from time to time, I'd like to point your attention towards that parish, some of the things that are happening at my parish. Then we'll get into what's happening in a larger way during this particular week of Lent, of the Great Fast. It's going very fast, (laughs) and soon we'll be upon the great week, Holy Week, the week of the bridegroom. But we've got one more week here of Lent itself in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And some of the things that are happening at Annunciation Parish are, as always during Lent, we have on Wednesday evening, the seven o'clock pre-sanctify liturgy. And then that will also be repeated again on Friday at seven o'clock. But also on Saturday is Lazarus Saturday, where we'll have the Divine Liturgy on Saturday at Annunciation Church for Lazarus at 8 o'clock. Now, the Lazarus Saturday Liturgy, it's very rich, very meaningful, especially that marvelous gospel, that story of Christ encountering his friend Lazarus, and he raises him from the dead. And that event marks the end of the official season of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. The next day, Palm Sunday, we sometimes call it Flowery Sunday in the Byzantine church, that will actually begin the Great Week, a separate week, Holy Week, Week of the Bridegroom. That was the original Lent. That was the original penitential fasting period. This goes back many centuries because It was the preparation for the catechumenate. In other words, those were about to be baptized on Holy and Great Saturday at the Pascha Vigil. But then later on, Lent was expanded into what we know today as the 40 days. But in the Eastern churches, the 40 days is separate from Great Week, from Holy Week. So the ancient fasting period, the ancient week of penance, known as Holy Week or Great Week, Week of the Bridegroom, remains separate. Now, before that, we have the Sunday, which is today, of St. Mary of Egypt. And St. Mary of Egypt presents to us an incredible story. It's a story of really high drama. It's, It's very sophisticated dialogue. I often think of it as being a magnificent play, 
or movie, but probably would work best as a stage play because it doesn't involve many figures, many persons, just basically two. You could add a few more in there, but basically it's an incredibly rich, deep and intense, insightful, mystical exchange between two mystical people. Those people are Saint Mary of Egypt and also Father Zosimus. He was a monk. Now, this took place in the early 6th century, but the account of it was written 100 years later by Patriarch Sophronius of Jerusalem. And the story basically is this. Saint Mary, before she was saint, she was a young lady, and she was a prostitute. In, in the story, she gives her testimony to Father Zosimus, who comes upon her, who meets her in the desert. And she's very, rather, well, she's rather detailed about her story. I don't mean in a sensational way, but it's, it's very dramatic. It's, it's very well spelled out by her what she did, how she would toy with men. She purposely, it was almost like a sport for her to entice and seduce men. And she lived like this for a while. But one day, and this was in Alexandria, Egypt, one day she saw some pilgrims who were on their way to Jerusalem, to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Church of the Holy Resurrection. And she was curious, so she went along with them. But the reason she went along, really, was to, <laughs> well, she was curious, but she also wanted to go on a trip, and she wanted to seduce more men, more conquests. And she admits this to Father Zosimus when she gives her testimony, when he comes upon her and meets her in the desert. Well, she's going about her harlotry, but then the pilgrims want to enter this great church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's the church that's built over the place where Christ died on the cross, you know, Mount Calvary, and also where he rose. It's actually under one basic roof. And Mary wants to enter this church with the other pilgrims, but some kind of a force repels her. She tries again, repels her. She tries again. She tried about four times, and she couldn't get in the church. So she starts to feel really bad. She starts to cry. In fact, she spent all night crying, and then she saw an icon of the Mother of God, and she went and she talked to it. She, she spoke to the Virgin Mary. The next morning, she got up and tried to enter the church again, and this time, she was able to enter. She venerated the cross, the place where Christ was crucified, and then she went off into the desert around the Jerusalem area, and she went off for 47 years, and she did strict penance. She never really forgave herself of her sin. God, of course, forgave her, and she did a whole life of repentance, but she felt that she really needed this. She was so sorrowful about her sin and her arrogance and how she used people and used and desecrated her own body, which, as you know from Scripture, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, she's out in this desert during this extreme penance, and the icons of St. Mary of Egypt really portray her as almost skeleton-like, almost anorexic because she was fasting so hard. She hardly had any food. The one thing she did not have was contact with the outside world, with any other human beings, which means she also did not have contact with church or the Eucharist, which she missed dearly. Well, Father Zosimus was instructed to go off into the desert and spend some time. This usually was the custom of Byzantine monks. See, many times the monks would live by themselves, like, like hermits, but then they would come together from time to time, one of those times they would come together would be in Palm Sunday. But in the meantime, they would be out in the deserts doing penance and living a life of great prayer. 
So Zosimus is out in the desert, and he comes upon a, a sight. He sees something flash by him. Look like a human figure, but it looked like a naked human figure. Well, it flashes by him again, and he pursues it. Like, what is this? Well, lo and behold, it's Mary of Egypt, and she's kind of ashamed. That's why she ran by him. She was ashamed for him to see her because she was naked and emaciated, and plus she was self-conscious because she still considered herself such a sinner. Well, they began to talk, and that dialogue is read in the Byzantine church on the Thursday of the fifth week of Lent during the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. It's read in two parts because it's rather lengthy, but it's very intense, very high-level dialogue. Sometimes I think we should send the script to Hollywood because any screenwriter worth their salt would be extremely impressed by the level of dialogue that goes on and the, the level of character revelation and character development that goes on in the encounter between Father Zosimus and Mary of Egypt. So Mary tells her story, and both of them act very, very deferential to one another. Both of them feel unworthy to even be in each other's presence. But Mary then has one request, because Zosimus is going to return to the monastery, and she says to him, next year, come back here and bring me Holy Communion, which he does. Then she tells him, come back here again at this time next year to the same spot. So he comes back to the same spot a year later after giving her Holy Communion, which she hadn't had in really probably all her life. And when he comes back, she is dead with her arms crossed over her breast. And Father Zosimus is amazed at this, and he wants to bury her. But it's in the desert, so he had a hard time digging a hole. He didn't have any tools. Well, lo and behold, a lion comes by very gently and calmly, and helps Zosimus dig the grave for this repentant, but now very holy, Mary of Egypt. This story, and I've just given you a little synopsis of it, as I mentioned, it's read during the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, gives us a lot of insights and lessons into something that we ought to be developing during Lent, and something that not only do we develop it during Lent, but we hopefully sustain what we develop during Lent all through the year, in fact, for the rest of our life. It's certain principles that, of spirituality that really have almost gone missing today or have been seriously eroded. That's why this story, told from the 7th century, it happened in the 6th century, it was told 100 years later, and it's, it's told every year in Eastern churches around the world since the 7th century. It must have some kind of enduring value, some kind of lasting power, and indeed it does. The lasting power has to do with these two figures, how they saw each other, how they saw Eucharist, how they saw truth and repentance and purity. And when we come back, we're going to talk about why this encounter, this story of St. Mary of Egypt, is read each year for centuries in Eastern churches, why it ought to be read, ought to be read, made into a movie, a play. The story ought to be told far and wide, and I'm going to explain why when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. 
It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. At the beginning of the program, I was turning your attention towards Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. And by the way, we are open every day, all day. That's right, every day, all day. We close up late at night. Other than that, we're open very early in the morning. We stay open all day for people to come and pray, just be in the presence of God, walk our grounds, our award-winning environmental plan that allows for a lot of meditation, a lot of sense of God's beauty. That's what we're supposed to be doing all the time, but especially during Lent. That's why we pull back from things. I did not say give up. I don't like to say give up. I want you to mature past that a bit. We're going to call it backing away, backing away from things so that we can return to them with a different view, a more sacramental view. Or maybe we won't return to them at all. We realize we don't need those things in our life. We thought we did. We thought we couldn't go without them. Lent is also a time to bring us to that sense of contemplation, of contemplating God. Theoria, as they say in the Eastern churches, that God consciousness. It comes from seeing beauty and nature, and we try to provide that kind of setting at Annunciation Church. As I mentioned, we had the Presanctified Liturgy on Wednesday night and Friday night at 7 o'clock, the liturgy for the Saturday of St. Lazarus at 8 o'clock with the gospel reading, the dramatic reading of that encounter between Christ and Lazarus. And also, we will have during the great week, the following week, we'll have our doors open quite a bit, not only during the day, but especially Thursday night, very late, Holy and Great Thursday, to accommodate the many pilgrims that do come with that great tradition from the Latin Rite, a tradition that comes all the way from Rome, where people visit seven different churches 
they pray at seven different churches throughout the night on Holy Great Thursday. It's a great tradition from Rome, popular among Latinite parishes, and we're one of the churches on the list that is visited each year, and people come very late at night. So we'll be open to about 2 o'clock in the morning on Holy Thursday. But on Good and Great Friday, the next day, we're open all through the night for an all-night vigil. Come and spend an hour with me, as Jesus said to his apostles during his time of his passion. In the Garden of Gethsemane, come and spend an hour with me. Can you not spend an hour with me? Come and spend an hour in the presence of the tomb with the shroud with the icon of the crucified body laying in that tomb. That's what we do on Great and Holy Friday in Annunciation Church. We have a beautiful liturgical ceremony as though we were Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, taking the body down from the cross and laying it reverently in a new and virginal tomb. And then we come and spend an hour, we keep vigil at that tomb, like the guards did in the actual scriptural account of this event. Eventually, that shroud would be removed on great and holy Pascha, for Christ has risen, the tomb is empty. Lots and lots of dramatic things, lots and lots of deep, rich liturgical experiences in store for you at Annunciation Church. The schedule for services, it is currently on our website for Lent, but we'll also have the great and holy week schedule up there as well. So be looking for that and join us. Experience it. A liturgical immersion into the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Go to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com for a complete schedule. Also, speaking of an immersion, in our area, in fact, it'll be at St. Mary Parish in Mokina, Illinois, they will have a performance of the Seven Last Words of Christ. Now, this performance is rather unique. The Seven Last Words of Christ performance is both a theatrical and musical portrayal of the Passion of Christ. Unlike any other production, the actors never speak a word. The narration and dialogue of the scenes are given by the 50-member choir, soloist, and live orchestra through the musical work by composer Theodore Dubois, J.S. Bach, and others. This is directed by Simonetta Pasek and conducted by her daughter, Anna Pasek. And again, this is going to happen March 23rd at 7 p.m. It's a Friday, Friday, March 23rd at St. Mary Catholic Church in Mokina. Now, you can get tickets and find out about this by going to this website. Dance, but that's spelled with an S. It's D-A-N-S-E. Integro. Dance Integro. D-A-N-S-E. Integro.com. Danceintegro.com. That's for tickets and information. But tickets are going fast, believe me. This is quite a performance. Friday, March 23rd at 7 p.m., St. Mary Catholic Church in Mokina, Illinois. Also, opening on March 23rd, and you've heard this on this program before, it starts then. You don't have to go that night. You can go to Seven Last Words of Christ, then you can go to this movie the next day, or the next day after, or whatever. <laughs> the movie is Paul, Apostle of Christ, starring Jim Caviezel. Olivier Martinez and James Faulkner. Boy, that's an all-star cast. That's an Oscar-winning cast. And this movie, believe me, will be an Oscar candidate, or it should be. Beautiful, very lifelike, dramatic portrayal of the relationship between St. Paul, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, which has the account of St. Paul's life, especially when he was imprisoned. That relationship between them makes these saints very, very real without in any way reducing their sanctity. It's not one of those films that tries to make characters out to be, oh, so believable, so like us, that it completely, in a sense, banalizes them. 
or takes any and every bit of mystique away from them. No, this, this movie has a beautiful balance of making these particular saints, these persons, very real, yet very much in accord with the Scripture and of their great stature in the whole history of salvation. So again, it's called Paul, Apostle of Christ. It opens March 23rd in 1200 theaters. So it's probably in a theater near you. Stars Jim Caviezel. Remember, he starred as Christ in Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion. Olivier Martinez and James Falter. These are heavy hitter actors and they do outstanding job. This movie will really pull you into that, into that drama of the early church, the early Christian church. It will really give you a very palpable experience of Christian love. I don't mean that superficially. I mean the kind of love that separates Christianity from every other religion, every other ideology, every other philosophy. It separates us from everything. The kind of love and forgiveness that you will sense in this movie in a very real way. And bring your facial tissues, your Kleenexes, for the ending. Again, March 23rd, Friday. Paul, Apostle of Christ, a movie in a theater near you. Speaking of drama, let's get back to the drama of St. Mary of Egypt and Father Zosimus. There are a number of things that are so relevant in this exchange between these two people in this story. One of those things is the reverence for the Eucharist. Mary of Egypt so desired the Eucharist, but she kept away from it because she didn't feel worthy, because she just felt that she couldn't do enough penance for what she did for her sins. Such a contrast to today, where we don't like to be culpable. We like to blame somebody else. We like to sue somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never us. We don't really have that good of a grasp of repentance. I think we've lost a lot of it. That's why we put these stories before our eyes like St. Mary of Egypt. And we've been doing it for centuries because we need it, especially now. She does this extreme humility, this extreme penance, not feeling worthy Eucharist, yet desiring it. And when she finally receives the Eucharist, at her request, Father Zosimus brings it out to her in the desert soon after she dies. Now, Zosimus doesn't realize that right away, but he eventually finds out. This is what she waited for. She waited to live until she received the precious body and blood of Christ in her own repentant body. And then, like Simeon in Luke's gospel, when he beholds Christ in the temple, she says to herself, Now you may dismiss your servant the Lord, for my eyes have seen. What else is there? I'm now reunited with my Christ, with the object of my real desire. All those relationships she had with those men. It was just her desire for real intimacy. She just didn't know where to look. She chose the wrong place. She chose the shortcut to what seemed to be intimacy. That's what sin is. It's a shortcut. Eventually, she found out and she chose the real object of her desire, her love's desire, her desire for intimacy, which we all have, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Another lesson in this encounter, this great story of St. Mary of Egypt and Father Zosimus, is this deferential love, this respect they had for each other. They both recognized the sanctity in one another, yet they never recognized their sanctity in themselves. They always saw the other as greater than themselves. How's that for a new concept in our day and age? We're always thinking that we're as good or better or greater. There's nothing greater than us. We're greater than everything and everybody. Really, that's a pervasive view. We can never be at fault. It's always somebody else, something else. We don't have to bow to anybody. Nobody's really greater than us. We can thumb our nose at the church. We don't have to respect his voice or acknowledge that maybe it's smarter and more ancient than we are. But these two people had this incredible 
deferential love and awareness of their own loneliness in each other's presence. And finally, we see a lesson for womanhood. The womanhood designed by God, as we see in Eve, was made for relationship, for the order of life and love. But it's very easy to look in the wrong places for that and to get involved in relationships that are harmful, dysfunctional, dead end. To be willing to, in a sense, corrupt or banalize the body of womanhood, which is sacred. Mary of Egypt teaches all women that the ultimate object of your desires is Jesus Christ and that your body is holy and sacred. It has within it a tabernacle a meeting point between heaven and earth. And women should never forget that. And they should treat their bodies as we approach and treat the tabernacle in church as a place that is sacred. After all, the scripture does say, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Bishop Robert Barron thinks Catholic radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!